0: Chapter 18 of Malcolm by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Devora Allen. Chapter 18 The Quarrel. For a few days the weather was dull and unsettled, with cold flaws and an occasional sprinkle of rain. But after came a still, grey morning, warm and hopeful. And ere noon the sun broke out, the mists vanished and the day was glorious and blue and gold. Malcolm had been to Scarno's to see his friend Joseph Mare, and was descending the steep path down the side of the promontory, on his way home, when his keen eye caught sight of a form on the slope of the dune which could hardly be other than that of Lady Florimel. She did not lift her eyes until he came quite near, and then only to drop them again with no more recognition than if he had been any other of the fishermen." already more than half inclined to pick a quarrel with him, she fancied that, presuming upon their very commonplace adventure and its resulting secret, he approached her with an assurance he had never manifested before, and her head was bent motionless over her book when he stood and addressed her. My lady, he began, with his bonnet by his knee. Well, she returned, without even lifting her eyes, for with the inherited privilege of her rank, she could be insolent with coolness and call it to mind without remorse. "'I hope the bit bookie was not muckle the wire, my lady,' he said. "'Tis of no consequence,' she replied. "Kin it were mine, I wouldn't think so,' he returned, eyeing her anxiously. "'Here's your ladyship's pocket, Nepkin,' he went on. "'I ha' kept it ready rolled up ever sin my daddy washed it out. It's no ill done for a blind man, as you'll see, and I ironed it myself as well as I could.'" As he spoke he unfolded a piece of brown paper, disclosing a little parcel in a cover of immaculate post, which he humbly offered her. Taking it slowly from his hand, she laid it on the ground beside her with a stiff thank you, and a second dropping of her eyes that seemed meant to close the interview. "'I doubt my company's no welcome the day, my lady,' said Malcolm with trembling voice. "'But there's one thing I maun refer to. When I took home your ladyship's book the other day, you sent me half a crown by the hand o' your servant, lass. afore her I was not going to disallow anything you pleased with regard to me, and I thought with mysail it was maybe necessary for your ladyship's dignity in the look of things. How dare you hint at any understanding between you and me! exclaimed the girl in cold anger. Lord, mem, what have I said to fist suck a fire let out your bonny ain? I thought you only did it cause you would not like to look shabby afore the lass, no givin' anything to the lad that brought ye your ain.' "'and lippin' to me to understand that ye did it but for the look of the thing, as I say. "'He had taken the coin from his pocket, and had been busy while he spoke, "'rubbing it in a handful of sand, so that it was bright as new when he now offered it. "'You are quite mistaken,' she rejoined ungraciously. "'You insult me by supposing I meant you to return it. "'T'if ye think I could bide to be paid for a return to a neighbor, "'let alone the lifting of a book to a la lady,' said Malcolm, with keen mortification." that would be to despise myself for a keel truck. I like to be paid for my work, and I like to be paid well, but not a plaque by so like shall stick to my loof. It can be no offence to give you back your half-crown, my lady." And again he offered the coin. "'I don't in the least see why on your own principles you shouldn't take the money,' said the girl, with more than the coldness of an uninterested umpire. "'You worked for it, I'm sure. First accompanying me home in such a storm, and then finding the book and bringing it back all the way to the house. "'Deed, my lady, sic a doctrine would take all the grace out of the earth. What would this life be worth, gin all was to be paid for? I would cut my throat afore I would bide in sic a whirl. Take your half-crown, my lady,' he concluded, in a tone of entreaty. But the energetic outburst was sufficing in such her mood, only to the disgust of Lady Florimel. "'Do anything with the money you please. Only go away, and don't plague me about it.' she said freezingly. "'What can I do with what I would not pass through my fingers?' said Malcolm, with the patience of deep disappointment. "'Give it to some poor creature. You know someone who'd be glad of it, I dare say. I ken money one, my lady, whom it would will become your own bonny hand to give it till. But I'm not going to take credit for a liberality that would ill become me. You can tell how you earned it. And profess myself disgraced by taking a reward for a born lady for what I would have done for any bigger wife in the land, na, no, na, my lady, your services are certainly flattering when you put me on a level with any beggar in the country. In regard to such service, my lady, ye ken well enough what I mean. Oblige me by taking back your siller. How dare you ask me to take back what I once gave? You couldna account what ye was doin' when ye gave it, my lady. Take it back and take a hundredweight off my heart. He actually mentioned his heart. Was it to be borne by a girl in Lady Florimel's mood? "'I beg you will not annoy me,' she said, muffling her anger in folds of distance, and again sought her book. Malcolm looked at her for a moment, then turned his face towards the sea, and for another moment stood silent. Lady Florimel glanced up, but Malcolm was unaware of her movement. He lifted his hand and looked at the half-crown gleaming on his palm. Then, with a sudden poise of his body, and a sudden fierce action of his arm, he sent the coin, swift with his heart's repudiation, across the sands into the tide. Ere it struck the water he had turned, and with long stride but low bent head, walked away. A pang shot to Lady Florimel's heart. "'Malcolm!' she cried. He turned instantly, came slowly back, and stood erect and silent before her. She must say something. Her eye fell on the little parcel beside her, and she spoke the first thought that came. "'Will you take this?' she said, and offered him the handkerchief. In a dazed way he put out his hand and took it, staring at it as if he did not know what it was. "'It's some sir,' he said at length, with a motion of his hands as if to grasp his head between them. "'You would not take even the washing of a pocket napkin frae me, and you would gar me take a whole half-crown frae sill, Mim, you're a grand lady and a bonny." And ye had turns about ye "'ginna it war but the set of your head, it might gar an angel let fall what he was carrying. But afore I would affront one that wanted nothin' o' me but good will, I would I would rather be the fisher lad that I am. A weak need peroration, truly. But Malcolm was overburdened at last. He laid the little parcel on the sand at her feet, almost reverentially, and again turned. But Lady Florimel spoke again. "'It is you who are affronting me now,' she said gently. "'When a lady gives her handkerchief to a gentleman, it is commonly received as a very great favour indeed.' "'Gin' I have made a mistake, my lady, I might well make it, not being a gentleman, and not being used to the treatment o one. one. "'But I doubt g'in' a gentleman would hae surmised what ye was after with your napkin, g'in ye had offered him half a crown first. "'Oh, yes, he would—perfectly,' said Florimel, with an air of offence. "'Then, my lady—' For the first time in my life I wish I had been born a gentleman. Then I certainly wouldn't have given it you, said Florimel with perversity. What for no, my lady? I do not understand ye again. There mun be an uncle differ atween us. Because a gentleman would have presumed on such a favour. I'm gladder nor ever it I wasn't a born one, said Malcolm, and slowly stooping he lifted the handkerchief. And I was I glad o' that, my lady, Cause gin I had been, I would have been looking down upon working men like myself. As gin they were not freely o' the same flesh and blood. But I beg your ladyship's pardon for taking ye up amiss, and so long as I live, I'll regard this as one o' her feathers at the angel molted as she sat by the board craig. And when I'm dead, I'll have it laid upon my face, and sign maybe I may get a sight o' ye as I pass. Good day, my lady. Good day, she returned kindly. I wish my father would let me have a row in your boat. It's at your service when ye please, my lady, said Malcolm. One who had caught a glimpse of the shining yet solemn eyes of the youth as he walked home would wonder no longer that he should talk as he did, so sedately, yet so poetically, so long-windedly, if you like, yet so sensibly, even wisely. Lady Florimel lay on the sand and sought again to read the Fairy Queen. But for the last day or two she had been getting tired of it, and now the forms that entered by her eyes dropped half their substance and all their sense in the porch— and thronged her brain with the mere phantoms of things, with words that came and went and were nothing. Abandoning the harvest of chaff, her eyes rose and looked out upon the sea. Never, even from tropical shore, was richer-hued ocean beheld. Gorgeous in purple and green, in shadowy blue and flashing gold, it seemed to Malcolm as if at any moment the ever-new-born Diomene might lift her shining head from the wandering floor, and float away in her pearly lustre to gladden the regions where the glaciers glide seawards in irresistible silence, there to give birth to the icebergs in tumult and thunderous uproar. But Lady Florimel felt merely the loneliness. One deserted boat lay on the long sand, like the bereft and useless half of a double shell. Without show of life the moveless cliffs lengthened far into a sea where neither white sail deepened the purple and gold, nor red one enriched it with a color it could not itself produce. Neither hope nor aspiration awoke in her heart at the sight. Was she beginning to be tired of her companionless liberty? Had the long stanzas, bound by so many interwoven links of rhyme ending in long alexandrines, the long cantos, the lingering sweetness long drawn out through so many unended books, begun to weary her at last? Had even a quarrel with a fisher-lad been a little pastime to her? and did she now wish she had detained him a little longer? Could she take any interest in him beyond such as she took in Demon, her father's dog, or Brazenose, his favorite horse? Whatever might be her thoughts or feelings at this moment, it remained a fact that Florimel Collinsy, the daughter of a marquis, and Malcolm, the grandson of a blind piper, were woman and man, and the man the finer of the two this time." As Malcolm passed on his way one of the three or four solitary rocks which rose from the sand, the skeleton remnants of larger masses worn down by wind, wave, and weather, he heard his own name uttered by an unpleasant voice, and followed by a more unpleasant laugh. He knew both the voice and the laugh, and turning, saw Mrs. Cattena, seated apparently busy with her knitting, in the shade of the rock. "'Will,' he said curtly, "'Will, sit ye up.' Who's yon ye was play actin' with yonder? Who tellt ye to speer, Mistress Catinah? Aye, aye, lad, ye'll be a bon speakin' till an old wife after collogin with a young one, and sick o' one. Isn't she bonny, Malky? Isn't hers a winsome shape and a lachin' eye? Didn't she draw ye on and look in the hawk sane o ye, and lay herself out afore ye and she did nothin' o' the sort, ye ill tongued woman, said Malcolm in anger. Ho ho, trumpeted Mrs. Catina. Ill tongued am I, and what next? Ill deeded, returned Malcolm. When ye flung my bonny salmon till your ugly divil of a dog. <laughs> oh, ill deeded am I. I sae so not forget the bonny names. Maybe your lordship would allow me the liberty o' spearing another question at ye, Malcolm MacPhail. You may spear all as ye like, so long as ye cannot gar me stand to hearken. Good day to ye, Mistress Katina. Your company was none o' my seekin'. I may leave it when I like. "'Dinna ye be ower sure o' that,' she called after him venomously. But Malcolm turned his head no more. As soon as he was out of sight, Mrs. Catenaw rose, ascended the dune, and propelled her rotundity along the yielding top of it. When she arrived within speaking distance of Lady Florimel, who lay lost in her dreary regard of sand and sea, she paused for a moment, as if contemplating her. Suddenly, almost by Lady Florimel's side, as if he had risen from the sand, stood the form of the mad laird. "'I dinna ken where I come frae,' he said. Lady Florimel started, half rose, and seeing the dwarf so near, and on the other side of her a repulsive-looking woman staring at her, sprung to her feet and fled. The same instant the mad laird, catching sight of Mrs. Catina, gave a cry of misery, thrust his fingers in his ears, darted down the other side of the dune, and sped along the shore.' Mrs. Catinaugh shook with laughter. "I have scaled the bonny doves," she said. Then she called aloud after the flying girl, "My lady, my bonny lady!" Florimel paid no heed, but ran straight for the door of the tunnel and vanished. thence, leisurely climbing to the temple of the winds, she looked down from a height of safety upon the shore and the retreating figure of Mrs. Catinaugh, seating herself by the pedestal of the trumpet-blowing wind. She essayed her reading again, but was again startled, this time by a rough salute from Demon. Presently her father appeared, and Lady Florimel felt something like a pang of relief at being found there, and not on the farther side of the dune, making it up with Malcolm. End of chapter 18